Hey, Doug, we're on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and we are taking Hollywood Boulevard far, 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 far away, all the way to Westeros. Yeah, we're in the DeLorean. We're time traveling. Yeah, although it's really like a whole different world almost than like back in time. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like medieval-ish, but that's why I always think it's time traveling. But, but it is a whole different world. We, there's a joke on Community where they talk about how people think Game of Thrones is actually real world history. Like this is a story of what happened in the medieval times, in the Middle Ages. I mean, was the basis? I, I feel like the basis might have been. I think what the basis of the story was the War of the Roses. Oh, that makes sense. I didn't. I don't know if I knew that. Mm-hmm. I believe the basis of the story was the War of the Roses, um, but with a lot of influence from um, uh, the Lord of the Rings guy. Uh, why can't I remember his Tolkien. name? Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah. But there uh, is. It's yes. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of sci-fi fantasy in there. We're yeah. talking about Game of Thrones as we threatened to in the past, guys. Yes, we are going to talk about it. We have to talk about it because what just aired last night was the big epic battle between the Night King and the humans, the and dead the, and the humans. And the humans, yes. Did winter come? That is what we all needed to know. Um, so. I loved it and I hated it. So let's start with what you hated. Um, okay, first of all, I feel like they really kind of hyped, or maybe it wasn't them necessarily, but they didn't stop it. There was a lot of hype about who was going to die, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I felt cheated that we know think- not enough people died. <laughs> okay, so we agree. Now, okay. I I won't say I hate it. I like they do too much too well on this show for me to say that. By the way, there are going to be spoilers galore. If yes, we didn't but if you didn't see it spoilers. and you don't and you don't want to hear spoilers, just turn us off right now. Go to iTunes, give us five stars, but turn us off. Yes, that's actually all you need to do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Here's the thing. So we've got three episodes left of the final season of the show, and this is like probably the last huge battle we're going to have. And we still have, this is a cast of thousands, and we still have a ton of characters left on the show, even though so many have died over seven years. Um, so here is a chance to have killed off some of your most significant characters in ways that were, you know, dramatically rich, cathartic, memorable, iconic, whatever. Um, and you can do that especially because with three episodes left, like, well, why not? You're you're in the home stretch. You're at the end. You don't have to worry. Like even these actors don't have to worry. Like, oh, I thought I had a job and I don't. Like the job was about to be done anyway. So, of the characters that died, I think it's fair to say that they were second tier and below. They may have been on the show for a long time. They may have been beloved or respected, but they are not the ones who are ultimately like our top tier characters of like yep. the five or six that are left like so i thought we were gonna lose one i thought we were going to lose at least one at least one and we didn't and um and you know i hate to say i was disappointed but you know the the one thing that i always appreciated about martin is as, as the writer in the books is that he created this epic story in this epic world and all of these characters that you love right 
And he was never afraid to kill them off. Right, right. No one was ever safe, and that was the point. That was the point. Nobody was ever safe. And, and you know, sometimes readers become so attached to characters that they get very, very angry with writers that kill off their favorite characters. And so a lot of times I think it's, a, and, and I think it's just hard for writers to even kill their own characters. This man had, has no mercy. You know, he spent what, I don't know how many books there are in the, the series now I've forgotten, but you know, it was a good six or seven books. Just like, like he killed Ned Stark. He killed yeah, Ned he, Stark. He killed the one we thought was our true protagonist in the first book. Um, he killed off multiple remaining members of that same family in the third book. Um, so he was, yeah. And, he and killed the, off the dire wolves. That's true. The dire wolves. You don't kill, you don't kill dogs. That's, that's like <laughs> in books. That's not allowed. You can kill the people, but you never kill you the animals. You don't kill the animals. So I like he, he has just shown that he has absolutely no problem with knocking these people off. And we just didn't get that. Now, you know, I think it's also, we need to point out, there are no more books. This is purely coming from the show, the writers of the show, not from Martin. They don't have a guidebook anymore. They don't have a guidebook in that they don't have his books to adapt, but they do have him consulting with them regularly. Now, this is where I'm also starting to question things. I have a friend who is a big Game of Thrones nerd. And we actually saw each other on Saturday night and had a big old jaw about what we thought was going to happen the next, you know, in the next episode. And I know he wasn't happy with, um, with the battle either. Like he thought the battle was really, really well done, but he felt like the story fell apart. And I haven't had a chance to like really talk with him through it because like when I say he is a nerd, like he is a nerd. Um, so I, I, I would love to because I'm a nerd too. Um, so uh, I need to have this conversation. Um, but, you know, I think that he, there were things, his feeling, we had a quick sort of back and forth on Facebook, and his feeling was that um, the end was not what Martin would have written. And I said, but interesting. I was like, but don't you think I was like, you know, he's consulting on this. And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, we'll never know until the book comes out. But I don't think the book's ever coming out. I mean, this guy's been writing these books. Yeah, I just don't think I think this is going to be our end, which is a little upsetting as a reader and fan of the books. Um, But you know, he felt like Martin was holding back his true ending. And this is the ending. It's like, it's like, it's the ending we deserve, you know? (laughs) So your friend thinks that like Martin is deliberately like letting them do one thing so that when he eventually does publish these books, it will be something different. And that's the thing he really envisions. Yes. That's what he thinks. And I think, and I think honestly, I think it's not a bad idea. I think it's a good idea in that, like, it's cool if you can get a second helping of the end of the story and it is different. Um, I don't know. But I liked the end. I liked who offed the, um, the Night King. I liked how, I liked that it, should we just say it? It was Arya. Yeah. You know, because my expectation was it was going to be Jon Snow or it was going to be Daenerys. Like, it was going to be one, it was going to be one of them. Right. And or or Bran somehow. Or Bran would survive somehow, yeah. 
Um, but for it, it to be Aria, it made total, total sense after it happened. Because, and again, this was sort of the clever part of it too, right? Like when she was in um, wherever she went to be, to, to become like the man with no face or many yeah. faces and, yeah. and all of that, like th- the idea of being an assassin is to sort of be not like people can't know that you're an assassin, you know? So, so it's to trick people so that they don't know what you're capable of. And this was definitely like her shining moment. Nobody oh, ever sure. thought that she was going to kill the Night King. It was never supposed to be her. It didn't even, and I'm still not sure logistically by the rules of the universe how it even could have happened. Like, how, no matter what mask she had on, how how did none of the walkers sense that she was human and kill her and get her from point A to point B with the Night King? We may never know. They probably won't even explain it in the next episode. That's a really good point because she actually did have to go through his his army that was behind him when he walked into the into the by the weirwood tree. And how did she get through them? That's a really good question. So I don't know that that will be addressed, and that is something that will nag at me. But the idea that Arya is the one that was able to off the powerful Night King is cool. Yeah, I thought that was, like, a really great moment. The other thing that a lot of people were complaining about, and I thought it was me, you know, because, like, uh, where I was like, oh, my God, I can't see. No, I had the same problem, too. We were like, it's not really clear all the time. I actually am not sure it's their best CGI or lighting work on the series, especially compared to other battles. But I felt that, too. Did you see, like, a weird, like, black thing, like, shadowy thing that would, like, pixelate a little bit? I got a lot of pixelating, and I thought that was just my cable. No, I think it was the—I think it—I think you're right. I think there was some bad CGI going on. Wow. Come on, guys. Uh, I know. And I'm—you know, I hate to talk shit because I'm sure that this was a very complicated— we're, 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 it's not quite nitpicking, but we're we're finding the slights in something that is, by and large, very uh, like a mammoth achievement. Well crafted. Yeah. I mean, I was yelling at my TV for the full ninety minutes. Wow, I was not. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, I, I was like yelling at my TV because I was so invested and involved in what was going on on that screen when I could see it. I definitely thought there was going to be some sort of messy thing. My girlfriend thought there might have been some sort of friendly fire resulting in the deaths of one of the, the main guys or, or women. Um, and none of that ended up happening. Um, but we did lose the whole um, Dothraki army. Yeah. They lost the whole army. Yeah. So, I mean, what's next for them is to, I guess, march now to Westeros and take the, take, take the throne. From Cersei. Yeah, I feel like that's next. And, you know, we're, we've had one episode with Cersei and then two without. So her return is overdue. I really like her. Oh, she's phenomenal. I like her because she is horrible and unapologetic about it and owns it. Like, everyone's lives there are terrible. Everyone has done horrible things. She's the least apologetic about it, and that's why she's my favorite. <laughs> I think Tyrion's my favorite. I mean, Tyrion is a likable, like rascal kind of guy yeah i love that he's a rascal she is really hateful Uh, but i think for me Tyrion, Tyrion has gone on a true journey 
on on like that sort of true Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Um, he has changed so much from the person that he was when he showed up at Winterfell in season one to the to the person who shows up last night or in this season, yeah. in the final season. Like he, out of all the characters, maybe Sansa is probably the other one. So, which makes which is sort of interesting because I'm wondering if those if they might if they might actually like they were married before under duress. Um, and, but it seems like there is a fondness there between them now. Um, but, it, but they have truly gone through this journey and have become truly changed. Like Jon Snow was always going to do the right thing. He was always going to be a hero. That was just always who he was, right? He was humble and he was heroic. Yes. Um, Arya was always a spitfire, she was always, she wanted her own sword. She wanted to be, you know, she wanted to go play with the boys and do battle. And, and she did that, you know. Um, but I feel like, you know, the spoiled Sansa who wanted to be queen, who wanted to marry Prince Joffrey because he was a prince. You know, now we've got a woman who wants to secede the North from the rest of the the, the kingdoms and what, you know, and, and she's been through, I mean, she, poor woman has been through it, you know, and, and she has changed, you know, Tyrion too. I think that he has been through it and he has changed. And so it's been kind of really cool to watch them, to watch their transformations where I don't think that we've had those transformations, um, with a lot of characters that have been like that deep. I agree. I agree. I'll also just say I really like Brienne also. Oh, she's fabulous. And her boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the wildling that is in love with her. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of adorable, but is also contrived, which I think is the, that, that I think you can see where the loss of the books has affected um, some of the storytelling, there's a lot more hamminess, I think, in the last two seasons than, than there have been, um, like, sort of forced hamminess. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I think that part of that has to do with the books not being there as an anchor. Yeah, no, that makes sense. My nerd friend agrees with me. So, um, yeah, I want to hear more of what your friend says for the remainder of the series. Well, you know, I should probably, maybe we should, we should bring him on. Will he also watch an episode of Melrose Place? I'll ask him. He'll okay. probably kill me, but I'll ask him. But we could do a Hollywood Boulevard with him as like a sort like, of wrap up. I mean, yeah, we don't have to ask him. He doesn't have to kill you, but he should definitely join us. Well, and maybe Alyssa can from this end too, and we can have all, everyone weigh in on, on the series. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I shall ask him. I shall invite him to do it. I'll see what he. I'll see what he'll say. So that was the big battle. Um, you know, uh, the the dead have been killed. That was the other thing I noticed. A lot of people were talking about. They were like, "That was too easy." <laughs> to kill the Night King? Yes. Well, it does feel easy, but it's also about how long it took to get there. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I didn't see anything easy about that, but okay. Um, and then there were a couple of 
people brought up that um, in in a premonition from like I don't know how people remember these things. It's kind of extraordinary. My friend too has this like memory that I'm just like, how do you even remember that from season one? Um, that that there was a prophecy, and in the prophecy, um, King's Landing was covered in snow. Uh, so we might not have seen the end of the dad yet. Interesting. Yes. I know there's a, yeah, a lot of conspiracy theorists are coming out and the internet is full of people that are remembering all sorts of things that have been said over the course of the series. Like, yeah, if we all put our brains to, you know, to this much work in our daily lives, who knows what else we could accomplish? World peace. Mm. Mm. Maybe. So apart from Game of Thrones, you've been watching some TV. I have been. I've been able to catch up on some things. Um, so I thought I would do a roundup of some of the other shows on FX. Um, so I like theater, as we've made known on this podcast. So one of the big last events of the season is this new limited series on FX called Fosse Verdance, Fosse slash Verdant, about the pairing of choreographer-director Bob Fosse and dancer-actress Gwen Verdon. And this kind of takes the mold of uh, one of the Ryan Murphy-produced things like Feud, but it actually is not created by him. It comes from the house of Lin-Manuel Miranda and Thomas Cale, who directed Hamilton, um, and was also largely written by Stephen Levinson, who wrote uh, Dear Evan Hansen, the musical. So, like, Tony's galore talking here. And the thing about Bob Fosse is... Or the thing about this show and Bob Fosse is uh, my question is who is this intended for? Because if you're a fan of theater, then chances are you know a lot about Bob Fosse, who is a storied um, and well-decorated choreographer, and Gwen Verdon, who is a four-time Tony winner, and and their marriage and and separation that followed are kind of like the stuff of legend. But if you know nothing about these people, that's great because this show probably acts as a primer for you. But are you really that interested in the first place if your whole life you know nothing about them? Well, that's that's sort of the question. Like, if you don't know anything about them, would you be watching this, really? Right. And I have to assume some are because people just watch things and, and, and it's new to them and it's fine. Um, and I think it's more successful for the people that know less. Um, the ones that know more, I think, probably enjoy, uh, as as I do, seeing New York actors they know in smallish parts. Um, the big parts of the two title characters are played by uh, Oscar winner Sam Rockwell and Oscar nominee 80 billion times over Michelle Williams, who is particularly fantastic and transformative as Gwen Verdon. Um so do I think the show succeeds? It's three episodes in. Uh, for me, it's neither here nor there. Um, there, I, I think it is adapted directly from uh, this the most recent uh, biography written by Sam Wasson. And what he did was very, like, just the facts, including basically just counting down to the day that Fosse died in the late 80s. I think he died of a heart attack around the age of 59 or 60. Mm. And um, 
so this frames a lot of the episodes and a lot of the individual commercial segments um, saying like 18 years till he dies or 18 years till she dies or 70 days until she dies. And it's not always about Bob Fosse or Gwen Verdon. Sometimes it's about other characters as well. But it's a, uh, an unsentimental structure for the show. It also bounces around, so it's not doing anything chronologically from episode to episode. We start in the late 60s when he's directing the film version of Cabaret. Later on, another episode, we go to the 50s when he first met Gwen Verdon as he was working on Damn Yankees. So we're bouncing around back and forth. So there's no mystery in terms of will they get together, will they stay together, how long does either one of them live? That's all sort of given to you up front. Um, but you also then don't get a lot of the chemistry that they had. Like you don't, mm-hmm. I don't think they give you enough of the context of why these shows, these dances, these numbers, these films were particularly significant. You just sort of take it face value because they're telling you these things. They are. They are, right, right. Uh, but here's the other thing that I think the show is missing. The sex. Because, yeah, Sam Rockwell's uh, a sexy guy, but Bob Fosse's, like, legendary for, like, just having sex with people all day long. Like, (laughs) in a closet during a rehearsal with a dancer for three minutes, and it was, like, the best sex she's ever had. Like, over and over again, there are stories like that. It's like, what could this guy have possibly been doing in three minutes? But, like, that, like, that is his reputation, and that is sort of his inclination. And, like, he's just sort of, like, the I think the portrayal that, the the image that we get from him in the show is crazy genius, typical man, like, sex addict, untethered, blah, blah, blah. But... But that, in a sense, excuses the behavior because it's like another in a long line of those guys who wanted to have it all. But it also, I just don't think, gives you enough insight into the genius. Right. Is it? And yet it doesn't give you enough insight. And that's right. where we are so far. And it, it, it may change. Um, but it's nice to see some of my favorite writers who sort of worked in his orbit represented because we have actors playing Neil Simon and the writer Patty Chayefsky. So that's kind of cool to see. Is it bad that I have no interest in seeing it? I feel like I'm the only person involved in theater that is just like, I don't need to see that. I have no interest in this. No, I think that's the same reaction. Oh, okay. (laughs) I honestly think if you know even a little bit about who or what they were, that this show probably doesn't give you a lot more. Okay. But if you just want to see shows about the world of theater because you like seeing everything that's about theater, then I think that's who this attracts. Gotcha. So good for them, but I'm not sure the show is doing its job, which is unfortunately kind of the consensus of the show Smash eight years ago, which also made its imprint, but also most of the people who are watching were kind of tearing it apart. So... Um, I'll keep watching it. And I, I do have to, you know, again, say Michelle Williams is doing really delicate, wonderful work. So good for her. And good for us to have her. Um, 
And another one of the shows that they've currently got running is What We Do in the Shadows. And I believe you know about this, but hadn't seen the movie. I have not seen the movie or the series. Well, I'm again torn. Like, I'm curious to see where they're taking the show. But it does seem that this premise, which was basically like a spinal tap slash you know, modern family office parks and rec type structure to a, a, a you know, a documentary type thing about vampires. vampires right. Um, I, it's really seemed to work with a short term story. They seem to struggle a bit more uh, with the long term story. And part of that might be how they've had to change it um, in terms of location. They're actually filming it in Staten Island. It's set in New York where it used to be set abroad. Um and part of it is, um, uh, I don't, I, the, we had Jermaine Clement and I'm going to say his name wrong, Tiki Waika, I don't know, the guy who did the Thor movie, the last, most recent Thor movie. The, the creative forces behind the film are maybe producing, but they're not really creating, um, they're not running the show. So... I think they're sort of hamstrung by that. I'm five of, I believe, ten episodes in, and um, I feel like they haven't quite figured out the story they want to tell. Um, so we'll see. Okay. Uh, but I do want to give two thumbs up to season three of Better Things on FX with uh, Pamela Adlon, um, which I think has finally found its... Uh, like proper cruising altitude. Okay. Uh, did you ever see it? No, I haven't. It's it was odd. It was an odd taste. It's a very LA sort of show. It's a very LA sort of structure because it's very largely mirroring her own life uh, as an actress and voiceover artist with uh, who's a single mom with three kids in LA, um, and and so she plays. And writes and is directing every episode now uh, of a version of herself and her life, and we get segments. Each episode usually has two or three different kinds of scenes, just sort of showing what's happening in her house with her kids, with auditioning, with her sort of crazy wanton love life. Um, and so, eventually, if you see enough of these sketches, they sort of accumulate into something bigger and more rewarding. Um, but I found that the first two seasons particularly were all over the place and they're sort of gliding together better now in this new season, which has about four episodes left as of this recording. I think we have nine of 13 have, have aired so far. And, um, you know, it, it, for me, it's an acquired taste and it took me even more than half of the season, I think to fully acquire it and to, to get to understand what she is getting at. Um, and I'm liking it. I think everything fits together more. I think the puzzle pieces make sense. Um, and the pace at which she's telling her story feels adequate or accurate is probably a better term. Um, so right now I'm in a very, you go Pamela Adlon mood, who is an actress I have known and loved since the eighties. Um, so I'm happy to see that, She's more than coming to her, her own, um, both as sort of uh, a known entity and also a Hollywood business person. I'm so good for her. Oh, uh, and Celia Emery is in it. How funny. Yes, she plays her mother, who is also based on 
her real life mother who is British and um, a little adult. Uh, and she's she does a wonderful job. And Kevin Pollack has a recurring role as her brother. Um, uh, yeah, there are a lot of um, sort of uh, forgotten is not the word, but actors you, and actresses you haven't seen in a while show up. Last year, Henry Thomas from Haunting of Hill House and E.T. was a love interest. Sharon Stone was on an episode earlier this season. Um, I've come to find it very rewarding, and it was not an instant feeling. So the journey to get there has made it all the more sweeter. Well, okay. And you know what? It's so nice to say something and to end on a nice note. I think that's where we're going to wrap this Hollywood Boulevard. Let's make it it a true TV conversation. Um, I'm going to, I think next week, Alyssa will join again and we'll have a big theater conversation. Okay. To Tony nominations and the last few shows of the season that we've seen. So I think it might be better just to dedicate our theater chat then. So let's make this a TV thing with one um, caveat, which is uh, earlier today, the director John Singleton died, and I forgot before that I wanted to say something yeah. about. Yeah, so I need to say that now. Um, you know what? I didn't know that Boys in the Hood was his first film, and he got an Oscar for that. It's very, very significant. He was nominated for his film debut as best director. He was the youngest best director nominee and the first, believe it or not, African American best director nominee, and that was really, 19- yeah. Wow. So 28 years ago, but, you know, 100 years into movie making, he was, yeah, the first um, black nominee for Best Director. As, and he also got a nominee for, a nomination for the screenplay. And I don't know, he, he had a very good career. He directed other dramas. He directed big action films. Too Fast, uh, Too Furious. You yeah. know, I love those movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know that anything might have matched... Um, Boys in the Hood, but he certainly uh, had a great career and was only 51. So young. I believe, I believe again, it was like Luke Perry, a stroke. And yeah. eventually um, yeah. I had taken him off life support. So it's really awful and shocking and scary, um, but, uh, but really worth um, remembering him because... Uh, he, it was a very significant figure. Yeah, it's sad. I feel like there was so much more he had in him, you know, because yeah. he was super talented. I mean, Boys in the Hood was just an extraordinary movie. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, the other movie that he did that I think never really got um, a fair shake, shall we say, was Poetic Justice. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. I actually like Higher Learning as well, which was the one he did after. Um, but, yeah, Poetic Justice, um, I don't know, is somehow... I guess the story is always just about Tupac more than anything is the association, but, but that's a really credible, um, sophomore directing job, especially given what a big deal boys in the hood was. And, and, you know, and he's also, you know, produced a lot, um, yeah, and a, TV as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like apart from his work as a director, um, you know, so I, I, I you know, and, and, it, and his, Everything that he's done has been pretty different too. Like you look at Boys in the Hood, right? Yes. To Shaft, yeah. The Shaft remakes, you know, like that's that's a pretty, you know, it's not like you know, well, Clint Eastwood, he does westerns. You know, do you know what I mean? Like you have those those directors who just do action movies or just do, 
you know, whatever it might be. And, and he, he was pretty like expansive. And even the stuff he did that might be called uh, like a director for a higher job, he always elevated. Right. Like, like it was never just popcorn fare. It was, there was always more to it. And I think you always got better performances as a result uh, as well. So it's, it's a shame and it's a loss. And I did hear from um, a friend of mine, an actor friend of mine who auditioned for him um, yeah. that he was apparently just a dream in that audition room and was very giving and just like one of those dream directors to work with because he was just so good with actors. Oh, and nice people are nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's very sad that we've lost him. It is sad. It's a, it's a really tragic. Yeah. So, so sorry. Thought I could end it on a positive note, but no, me wanting to pay tribute to all these people. So I we- know, and we had, well, you know what? We're kind of bringing it full circle because we paid tribute to the dead in, in Winterfell. That's true. So it, it, we're just bringing it, yes, there bring you it go. full circle. There we go. So, and there we are. And there we are. So hit us up on uh, Back on the Block Pod on Facebook. Um, talk to us about Game of Thrones. Yeah, what did you guys think? And did you guys uh, have any trouble with, like, the pixelation? Yeah. And if somebody comes on our, uh, you know, on our page and says, oh, never watch that. Yeah, don't bother. We're if just going to bitch slap you. If it goes without saying for you, don't say it. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. No, we don't We, we don't need that. Yeah. There yeah. are things people watch that I don't, and I don't have to announce it to yeah. the world. Yeah. Life goes. We have joy. Let, let, let it bring us joy. Let's find the joy and keep it. Let the joy live. Let the joy live. So, yeah. Um, so, that'll that's a wrap, kids. That's right. What she said. Have a great week. Let us know what you thought about um, all these things. And um, we'll see you back on the blog.